right. Good morning, everybody. How are you? God is so good, and he's making a way. We look around at our world today, and uh, it can be scary. You watch the news for five minutes, you could have been in a great mood, and then by the time you get done, you're terrified. Today, I hope you're encouraged because we're going to talk about hate. All right? Over the past several weeks, we've looked at John 15, and we've learned that to be fruitful, we have to abide in Christ. To live a life of obedience that makes a difference in this dark world that shines a light, we must abide in Christ. We've learned that he's chosen us, that he calls us friends. And that passage that Pastor John shared last week, the last phrase, we're going to keep this in mind as we go through this passage about hate. He said, love one another. Love one another. Today we're going to be challenged and encouraged, I hope, by a passage about hate. We live in a time where hate has become commonplace. In fact, it's promoted. In fact, it sells. Hate is a good product and people love to buy it. Our culture, listen, our culture loves to hate. And we as God's people, we must guard our hearts against this. We don't realize, realize how poisonous hatred is and how it blinds us to God's true calling for our lives. Booker T. Washington understood this. He said this, I will allow no man to belittle my soul by making me hate him. Think about that. Not only is hate poisonous to your testimony of the good news of Jesus, it's poisonous to your soul. We have to keep this in mind today, that we're called to something entirely different. If the world hates, God's people are called to love. We have to keep that in mind as we read this morning. John chapter 15, let's go there, all right? John chapter 15. We will start in verse 18. It says this, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If, if I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. But when the helper, here's the good news, right? But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Would you pray with me right quick? Father, as your people, 
we are called according to your purpose. I pray today that as we look at hatred, we look at what Jesus teaches us in this passage, and then we apply how to go live a life of love, I pray, God, that this here today, this would be the spark of a revival in our country. This would be the spark that leads to change in a world full of hate. That's how high the stakes are, Lord, and we can't do it without your spirit. So I pray that he would come and meet with us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Six realities that we see in this passage. So we got a lot of territory. Buckle up. You know, anytime they give me a microphone, you know it's going to get interesting, okay? So we have six realities that we're going to look at in this passage, and then we're going to wrap it up with six points of application, but I promise we will get done on time. Number one, we will meet resistance and hatred in this world as we follow Christ. We will. Following Jesus comes at a cost. Contrary to health, wealth, prosperity kind of preaching that has permeated the American church, there is a cost. We take up a cross to follow Jesus. Most of the world throughout history and even to this day meets hatred and persecution as a result of practicing their faith in Christ. You understand that? Right now there are people trying to meet around the name of Jesus and they're doing it at the threat of their life. You see, in, in human history, this experiment of America that has allowed us to practice our faith freely is very unique. What are we doing with it? How are we stewarding this great blessing of having the freedom to worship as we please? We're becoming the minority even in America, though. When we look at our culture, the Christian faith, a Bible-believing faith, is becoming the minority. Yes, we know this. Number two, we are chosen. Jesus says, I chose you out of the world. And this is an encouragement. Even in the midst of resistance and hatred. Hear me. God has a plan for your life. Yes, it's costly, but... He's going to provide for you. He's going to take care of you. Be encouraged. When you look around the world and you go, our country, it's not a Christian country anymore. What's happening in our culture? Don't be scared. I'm not saying you have to like it, but don't be scared. We haven't been given a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. We can be encouraged because we are chosen. I will do anything for my kids. Why? Because I'm their father. It's no different. Our father in heaven will take care of his kids. We don't have to fear. We are chosen. Number three, we are not of this world. Our worldview with Christ as the cornerstone is unique. How? We value sacrificial love. We value truth, justice, peace. We are not of the world. Jesus said, I chose you out of the world. The world hates. What's the opposite of hate? Love. There has to be a distinction in our life. Number four, we share in Christ's suffering. Jesus went through difficulties, even death on a cross. Yet he demonstrated love and sacrifice in the face of that suffering. 
folks, friends, family? Are we prepared to suffer well? Are we prepared to practice our faith if it came to that? The way the rest of the world has to practice their faith. Are we prepared to share in Christ's suffering if it were to come to that? You see, the good news is we don't have to do that alone, do we? God isn't up in heaven saying you just need to try a little bit harder. Just give it some more gas, grin and bear it, grind it out. That's not the heart of our Father. No, He sent us a helper, a comforter, an advocate, the Holy Spirit, who guides us and leads us. And as the followers of Christ, our obedience is in that we keep in step with the Spirit. Amen? We're not living a life led by our own flesh, our own will, our own desires. We live a life in step with the Spirit so that we can be fruitful. So that we can shine a light in a dark world. We have a helper. That's good news. I want to speak to you if you're not yet a Christian and you're in here this morning and you feel like no matter what happens, just life is hard. No matter what happens, I can't get ahead. It just keeps, it's one bad thing after another. And you got talked into coming this morning. Someone dragged you up here and promised you lunch. Do you know that God has a helper for you? Do you know that it's not his will for your life that you live apart from him, trying to figure it all out by yourself? Do you know that he has a plan? Today could be the day where you respond to him and say, God, I'm gonna, I give you control. You start a relationship with Christ, and now, guess what? The Holy Spirit will come and reside in you. You have a helper. You don't have to do it alone. Finally, the sixth reality we see, we have a purpose. Jesus tells us in the final verses that we will bear witness. We will testify about him. This mission, catch me, because the rest of what I'm going to say is built on, on, on this premise. For the Christian, I'm not speaking to anybody else, just, just my brothers and sisters in Christ. For the Christian, the mission of bearing witness about Christ, sharing the good news, that mission supersedes everything else in your life. I don't want to get up, run off the stage here. I really don't. That supersedes your patriotism. It supersedes your race. It supersedes your job. Jesus said, and you will bear witness about me. You will testify about me. That is the supreme calling for the Christian. And every choice that we make, everything that we do, with the help of the Spirit, flows from that reality. We are called to a purpose. So the question of our life then, how do we testify in the face of hatred? As we're becoming the minority in our country, how do we testify and bear witness about Jesus? 
As our beliefs seem to further alienate us from the culture at large, what is the Christ-like response? We've seen a lot of unchrist-like response, haven't we? Right? It's not hard to find an unchrist-like response to what we see in our world today, is it? Get on Facebook, turn the news on, right? Sit down at a lunch table with somebody else at work. It's not hard to find that, but we're not of this world. So before we get into this application, I want to define love and hate. And to do that, I've got some very special helpers that are going to come help me. All right, come on, guys. Let's go. Would you guys give them a round of applause here? All right. Okay, so we're going to define love and hate. And what I want you to do, we're going to have this on the screen. Don't be nervous. It's okay. What we're going to do here, I want you to see, really study the definition of hate. Because I, I think sometimes we give ourselves a pass. No, I don't hate them. Well, read the definition. I, it really shocked me. When I read it this week, I went, wow, that's eye-opening. All right, and then we're going to read the biblical definition of love. All right, here we go. Loathe, detest, dislike greatly, abhor, abominate, despise, execrate, feel aversion toward, feel revulsion toward, feel hostile toward, be repelled by, be revolted by, regard with disgust, not be able to bear or stand, be be unable to stomach, find intolerable, shudder at, recoil from, or shrink from. Good job. Olive. Those are hard words, all right? Okay, so here's the definition of love, a biblical definition of love. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own ways. It is not iterable or resentful. Good job. All right, buddy. Ready? Yeah. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things. All right, give him a round of applause. Good job, guys. Go have a seat. Good job, guys. That's awesome. I know this. I couldn't read those words when I was a kid. There was no way. So look at those definitions side by side. Let's bring that up on the screen. I think, well, we might, we might get it in a second. So think about this for a moment. Based on that defin- definition of hate, Is there anybody in your life that maybe you're a little closer to hate than you are to love? See, love is patient and kind. It bears all things. It endures all things. It hopes all things. Do we have hope for those that we would identify as different from us? Folks, this is it. If the church of Jesus cannot be known for its love, then there's no point. Yeah, but you don't, the the sin in their life and they're taking this country away from God. He doesn't give us a qualifier when he says, love God with all your heart. A second is like it. Love your neighbor. He doesn't say only if they behave the way you want them to. I'm guilty of this too, guys. I look at groups and people in our world and I go. It's real easy for me to identify their sin. But am I hating them? Number one, pray for those who hate 
you or may be hated by you. Matthew 5, 43, Jesus says, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye. How many of us, let's be honest, you don't have to raise your hand, but how many of us, when it came down to it, we really like a little sweet revenge? We love to feel vindicated and right. I want you to recall Jesus when he's facing Pilate and the angry mobs. Was he perfectly righteous in those moments? Did he respond with hate? No, otherworldly, supernatural love. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Repentance may be necessary on our part. I'm, I'm really proud of, of our church, our local church here. I'm really proud of our church because I think we really do want to love our community and love the world. And I'm so thankful for that. I'm thankful that the tenor of this message is an encouragement, not a rebuke. But let's be honest, guys. All of us, in our flesh, we got a little bit of hate in us for somebody or some group out there. And it may be time that we repent of that and say, God, I pray for them. Even though they threaten me, even though they persecute me, even though they hate me and they hate my beliefs, Father, I pray for them. Number two, we lean on the helper. This is good news. We lean on the helper. Galatians 5, 16 through 26, we're taught to what? Keep in step with the Spirit, to follow His lead. Folks, the Holy Spirit will not lead you into hate. Let me say that again. The Holy Spirit will not lead a follower of Christ into hatred. I'm just letting that marinate for a minute. We have too many people validating their hatred in the name of God today. But I'm going to take this country back by God. We keep in step with the Spirit. The Holy Spirit will lead us into sacrificial love, not hatred. Interestingly enough, the fruits of the flesh in Galatians 5, strife, fits of anger, and rivalries. That sounds like our world today, doesn't it? Fits of anger, rivalries, war. What's going on in the Middle East right now? I like what my friend David Hayes is sitting right here. You guys got to pray for them. They're leaving for Kenya today, okay? But I like what he said. He said, I want to be a man of peace. Wherever I go, I want to take and leave peace there. You see, that is the, that is the heart and character of Christ. That's what we should strive for. Application number three, memorize 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. And remember that God daily applies this kind of love toward us. Isn't that good news? Isn't that good news that God doesn't hold our sins against us? So then as his people, we can't then turn around and hold the sins of the world against them. That's not our place. Let God take care of the judgment. Our place is to bear witness, to testify, to share this good news of the gospel. 
this passage of Scripture, this biblical definition of love, is otherworldly, guys. Don't you want this to be said about your life? Man, they endured, they hoped, they believed that God could do anything for anyone. They were patient, they were kind, they were loving. I want that to be said about me. If our attitudes, our rhetoric, and our Facebook posts look more like 1 Corinthians 13 and less like they do, we might just see a revival in this country. Number four, avoid self-righteousness by remembering God's grace. I'm grateful that my parents instilled two attitudes in me growing up. And some of you might be able to recall like, yeah, you know, my parents taught me that same thing. Amen. The first one was my mom would always say when I got a little, you know, a little full of myself, a little arrogant. Some of you that grew up, you know, you watch me grow up here, you're like, no, you were never like that, Chris. Never. No. Thank you. Thank you. She said, she would always say, but by the grace of God, go I. Another attitude was that no one was beyond God's help. No one was beyond God's help. There may be a person or a group or a political party that you, they're too far gone. Even God can't help them. Not true. Not true. And if we as God's people, the ones supposed to be the beacon of love in a world full of hate, are hating. <sighs> mm. Ephesians 2.9, we are saved not by works, but by God's grace so that we, what? We don't boast. So when we look at a world and we think, folks, man, what they're doing to this country, the stuff they believe, it's true that those things could be sinful, completely against the will of God. But when we start to think that our beliefs make us better than anyone, we have forgotten Ephesians 2.9. We have forgotten that but by God's grace, we once were far off and he brought us near. Not because of our innate goodness, but because of his innate goodness. Christians, myself included, myself very much included, I'm confessing this to you, church. We are notorious for having a holier-than-thou attitude that is unappetizing to a world far from Christ. We must remember that Christ was frequently criticized for spending purposeful time with people that were very far from God. Why did the religious people get mad at Jesus? Not because he was being too religious. Because he was having dinner with sinners. I've come, why? Because the sick need a doctor. 
If we remain, and this is really where my heart gets sad, but I, I really do believe if we give our hearts and our church to God, we can make a difference. If we remain in our sterile bubbles, avoiding folks that are not yet Christians, avoiding folks that disagree with us politically, disagree with us about hot-button social issues, how are we going to reach anyone? Well, I don't have anything to do with them. I know what they think and they believe. What good is it if a man loves someone who loves him? Jesus said, pray for your enemies. Number four, of, uh, excuse me, number five, ask for good Samaritan moments throughout the day. Why do we love that story of the good Samaritan? Why do we love that? Because it was a life and death situation. And two men who could not have been ideologically further apart, one full of hate and in desperate need, and here comes the good Samaritan. And he saw a man in need. And he didn't go, I'm just going to let him sit there and rot in that ditch. No, he went on a rescue mission to rescue somebody that was lost and dying. They could not have been more different. He ignored socio-political positions, and it was all about love in that moment. If only we had an example in history of someone who, when faced with hatred, loved. We claim the name of Jesus, don't we? Don't we? Finally, number six, speak the truth in love. Ephesians 4.15 tells us that we are to speak truth. So listen, if you've been listening to this whole sermon and go, man, you are soft, Chris. It's all about this love stuff. There's not enough truth. Where's the truth? Truth is of paramount importance, but remember what Paul told us, told us in 1 Corinthians 13. You can know all the scriptures. You can speak in the tongues of angels. But if you have not love, you're just making a lot of noise. Did you hear that, guys? That challenged me when I read that this week. I can share all the truth in the world, but if I do not have love, I am nothing but a noisy symbol. Truth is of paramount importance. That song by... John Lennon, all you need is love. It's not really true. It's catchy. It's not really true. Because sometimes the most loving thing that you can do is tell somebody the truth. But I'm frequently guilty of this. It's not what you said, Chris. It's how you said it. I, I have to ask forgiveness for that every day. Every day. To almost every, to somebody in every sphere of my life. Chris, I, I get what you're saying and I agree with it, but how you said it, right? We have to speak the truth in love. You know the song, This Little Light of Mine? Let me, this little light of mine. Everybody? Okay, good. We'll make sure you're awake. I'm going to what? I'm going to let it. Come on, I'm on a, 
Let it shine. I'm not going to hide it. Jesus says you're a city set on a hill, Matthew 5, right? I'm not going to hide it, but some of us, we like to take that light and burn people with it. I'm not saying you need to hide it and all you talk about is love. You've got to let the truth of the gospel shine as well. But folks, we're not guilty in our culture of being too loving, are we? We're guilty of burning people with the light. We're supposed to let it shine. I'm not saying we shrink back when we face persecution and hatred. I'm saying let's not strike out in return, in retaliation. We respond the way Jesus did, with sacrificial love, in light of our purpose, which is to bear witness about him. Folks, the world that we want, with no more death and war and sickness and tears, it's coming. It's coming. But in the meantime, we do live on this earth. And our job as Christians is to wake up each day and make this world, this broken, sinful world, a little more like heaven each day. Have you personally accepted this love that God offers you? Maybe you're here today, you're like, man, I, I like that you're describing God as loving, but do you know him through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? You see, God offers his love through the person of his son. Jesus, out of sacrificial love, came to this earth on a rescue mission to rescue humanity from itself. He died on a cross to make payment once and for all for the brokenness in our lives. And today he stands and he offers you new life. He offers you the love of God. And nothing, once you make a decision to give your life to Christ, nothing and no one can separate you from the love of God. He does require your faith today. Would you bow your head for me, please? Is there anybody in here that says, Chris, I want to give my life to Jesus today. I, I need God's love in my life. I need the helper, the Holy Spirit in my life. I can't do it anymore. Would you raise your hand? I'm not going to embarrass you. Anybody? For my brothers and sisters in Christ in the room, as we sing this song, treat this as a time of response. If there's something in your life that needs to go, if there's some hatred that you need to repent of, let today be the day. If there's an enemy, a persecutor that you need to pray for, let's pray for them today. Guys, with the help of the Holy Spirit, we can transform the world around us with God's love. So let's treat this as a time of response.